Hello and welcome to episode CC Phillips of the Cost Per Pointcast. I'm your co-host, Colin Cudmore, joined as always by my fellow co-host, Trevor Shackles. So today is an extra special episode because not only do we have some extra special sends news that we'll get into in just a second, but we have a fantastic guest with us today too. Uh, joining us is friend of the show and fellow writer for Silver 7 Sends, Spencer Blake. Spencer, how's it going? It's going great. How are you guys doing? Doing awesome. It's been a fantastic day in Sensland. I mean, there's the Shabbat extension, but I know what we're going to... Um, our plan for the episode today is mainly to talk about Belleville. Uh, I know you've been doing a great job covering Belleville, um, the Belleville Senators on Silver 7 Sens, so uh, shout, out to, uh, uh, shout out to that. I mean, just lots of great stuff going on in the Sens today. Yeah, totally. And, uh, you know, like you were saying, obviously the big news today is that Thomas Shabbat, Thomas Shabbat signed that uh, huge eight-year extension with the Senators. It's got a cap hit of $8 million. Um, and so, yeah, it would be impossible to not lead off with this. Um, honestly, really great timing because we were going to record this episode today anyway. Um, and then the news came out in this uh, this morning. So really good timing. So uh, thanks, thanks to them for that. But suffice it to say, I think we're all extremely happy with this deal, yes? hundred percent. Yeah, absolutely. Couldn't be more thrilled about it. Now, in terms of the Spencer, I, I, I'll get I'll get you to speak on this. In terms of what this means for the franchise, what can can you speak a bit to that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's the the big thing is that it's a it's a young player who is obviously going to be a star if he isn't if you wouldn't already call him a star in the league today, uh, committing to the team for eight years. Yes, other things can happen. Trades can happen. The eight years could, you know, turn into six or four, depending on what happens. But what it is is a sign that, you know, he's buying into you know what the plan is right now, and and you know Colin White also extended for a longer term earlier in the summer as well. Uh, so hopefully we'll start to see the other dominoes, you know, when they need to fall in, in you know Brady Kachuk and and so on, um, and kind of getting that core together that hopefully will be, you know, something that's going to help the Ottawa Senators win many games for for many years. Yeah, totally. And I mean, it, it's it's a massive signal to the fan base. Like it can't be overstated how massive a deal this is just in terms of mm-hmm. of how it comes across to the fan base and tr- starting to win fans back because they, they, they kept speaking about the plan and what they have in store and then they went ahead and traded Carlson they traded Hoffman they traded Stone they traded they, they traded everybody and it, it, it just seemed like it, it just seemed like a, it was a rebuild that was disguised as cost-cutting and I, I still stand by that considering um uh, how, how little they're they're still spending, and uh, and hopefully yeah. they continue to continue to uh, build upon this base that they've built. But it really is a great signal that they're starting to follow through with their actions, which is something that um, has really not go, gone so swimmingly in the past uh, couple years. And it's just it's it's a it's a break. It feels great to have some great news. I mean, it's kind of funny. I mean, we aren't going to really touch on this, but <laughs> we, we we heard the. Melnick was getting sued again this past weekend, so it's nice to kind of take a break from that, feel like a normal hockey team again, similar to the Colin White extension, and just, uh, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's uh, the biggest contract in franchise history, and I mean, we should be celebrating it as such. Is it actually? I'm pretty sure, yeah. I think the Bobby the biggest, Ryan one. Uh, yeah, is, that makes sense. That yeah. makes sense. Wow. I mean, honestly, like, if, if you think about it, when was the last time the Senators had such good news like this? I mean, I, I'm thinking all the way back to maybe the carlson extension back in uh 2012 because you know besides that i mean sure there was like the the huge bobby ryan contract and like people were happy at the time but that was 
vastly different than this situation. So I, I honestly can't think of anything else between Carlson resigning and Shabbat resigning um, that where there was such a um, where, where the entire fan base was behind the signing. And like I haven't seen a single person be upset with this. So uh, yeah, I can't think of anything else. Yeah, for sure. So. I mean, there's so much we could talk about about the Shabbat extension. But the reason we have Spencer here is because we're talking about the Belleville Senators today. Uh, they're in for hopefully a big season. Um, but I know, Spencer, you've been following them very closely. So just a quick recap from last season. Uh, the Belleville Senators, they entered the, the year with uh, a new coach. And with Randy Lee was, was no longer there as GM. And it really didn't get off to that hot of a start. But the second half really... Uh, um, it really grew from that, and they even got inches away from the playoffs where they uh, just lost out on the final day. So um, a key to that rejuvenation, I guess, was the young forward core. There's Drake Batherson, Logan Brown, Rudolph Spalsers, uh, Batherson especially, with an astonishing, I think it was yeah, 62 points in 59 games. So um, I guess, Spencer, let's just start with the general roster makeup. So as of now, uh, what would you expect the opening lineup to uh, generally look like? Yeah, it's... I would say that I was really excited to see what was going to happen last year uh, with the roster. I think I'm no, I'm not, I not think I know I'm more excited this year. I think that there is, you know, yes, we're likely to see, you know, a few guys who were big contributors last year, spend some, if not all of their time in Ottawa. Uh, so it, it would, you know, not be great to see, um, you know, Brown or Batherson not spend the year for a Belleville fan. Um, but I think what we do have is a, an influx of really good, good skilled young players who also will get the chance to play. I think that was the the big thing last year for me with with you know new coach man uh, was that he didn't play the veterans over the young players unless mm-hmm. the young players didn't deserve it. So he, he obviously, you know, he wasn't playing, you know, Batherson and Brown all the time. Uh, you know, 20 minutes a night at the beginning of the season. He let them kind of work their way up to that. But once they proved their worth, he played them. And I think we're going to see the exact same thing again this year with new players. Like, you know, I bounce back and forth between whether or not we'll see Formington down there just because of his habit of of breaking the NHL roster. But I think that that's probably the best place for him. Uh, You know, Abramov, Norris, Verano, Davidson. You know, there's a lot of, you know, new players to the organization that I think is going to be really, are going to be really exciting to watch. Um and then you also have a, you know a couple of the other forwards to round that out. You know I think Rodewald will be back down. Um, Nick Paul, I don't know. I think he might play in Ottawa for a bit. Uh, just kind of a, a last shot, see if he's going to be something for the NHL team. Um, but I mean that's kind of your your core scoring forwards that I expect to see kind of on opening night. Uh, you know maybe it's not the top six on opening night, but you know a month in once they've kind of uh, got their feet wet in the AHL likely to see some combination of, you know, Formanton, Chlapik, uh, Verano, Abramov, Norris, and Davidson are probably, for me, the top six skilled forwards anyways. Hmm, um, yeah. We might see Mann, you know, he did have a bit of a tendency to put, you know, a, a veteran player with two younger players, a la, you know, Nick Paul playing with Brown and Batherson. Uh, Rodewald was always playing with Chlapik and Abramov once he joined the team as well. Um, so you might see Rodewald. Uh, they signed Jordan... I want to say it's Schwartz. I think it, I thought it was just like Swars. Might be Swars. Um, I haven't honestly looked too much into him, but on, on paper, he looks like a guy that probably will, you know, be the the veteran on a line with two other young players. But I mean, as, as far as skill up front and, and depth of skill up front, I think it's going to be a, a more talented roster 
you know, from from one to twelve uh, than it was last year. I think it, it was a bit top heavy last year. Um, it, it obviously went well, especially from January onwards. But um, I'm really excited about the forward group this year. I think there's going to be, uh, I think it's going to be a lot more fun to watch uh, when you know the top line's not on the ice. Uh, I think it's still going to be fun to watch, which will be which will be a difference from last year. Yeah, it's a it's interesting that you mentioned depth, and you know I, I feel like I've been saying this for at least the past three seasons, maybe even four, um, that I think Belleville is going to be better uh, in this coming season. And I think they are going to be. I think they're definitely a lot deeper, it looks like to me. I mean, the forward lines look loaded. I mean, as you're saying, they're probably not as top-heavy if Brown and Batherson aren't spending most of their time in Belleville. But, um, yeah, to me, it just looks... It, it, it looks like on every single line, there is at least a decent prospect. Like, I mean, you could have a guy like... You could even have Verano on the fourth line or uh, Parker Kelly or Alex Formanton or whatever. So it, it seems like there's they're going to have a lot of scoring options. Um, and yeah, if you had to make a prediction, who do you think is actually going to break camp with Ottawa, even if they end up getting sent down at some point? Yeah, I, I think it's going to be... I, I think the players that will be breaking camp with Ottawa um, all... All of them, I think, start their last name starts with a B. I think it's the <laughs> the three to four Bs uh, of of Belleville, which is kind of fitting. Um, I think that we're going to see just because of the lack of depth on the right side in Ottawa. I think Batherson's, you know, I think that's a spot for him to lose um, if he gets outplayed. He might get outplayed by someone like Verano or Davidson during during you know preseason and camp and stuff. But I think that he's probably, you know, I don't want to call uh, a rookie a lock for the lineup, but I, I don't see him. I don't see him spending much time at Belleville. Um, Brown, I I would hope to see in Ottawa, mostly because I, you know, would really love for that first line center thing to come true. Um, and so I think that he'll probably at least break camp with Ottawa. Uh, Brandstrom, I think he's, you know, I think he's going to take full advantage of the fact that, uh, you know, the unfortunate injury with Willanen. Um And then uh, the other B is Balsers. You know, I think that he'll probably. Uh, crack the lineup as well. Uh, obviously, there's there's some number issues there, um, you know, because there's also Nick Paul. Um, will DJ Smith play Mikhail Bodker? I don't know. You know, it, it depends on kind of where where that goes. But I think if we're talking about the people who are most likely to be in Ottawa, and not Belleville, in October, that's probably you know that's the top four for me. Yeah, and I guess it's just looking at uh, the the defense is kind of pivoting to that for a second. Uh, I mean, you look at Eric Brandstrom, and, and he'll probably be the centerpiece of that lineup, assuming he ends up playing in Belleville. But beyond Eric Brandstrom, uh, is there anyone else that we should maybe be looking out for on the defense core this year? One, I mean, one name I'm really curious about, only because he played most of the season in Ottawa last year, is, is Max Lajoie. I don't know... Mm. I don't know where he's going to end up. It doesn't seem like there's a spot for him in Ottawa. Um, so I think that we'll probably end up seeing him start the season in Belleville, just based on you know the numbers game. Um, and I think that that's probably best for his development. I think he's probably rushed into into the NHL a little bit. Um, but I think that if he's playing in Belleville, you can expect pretty big things from him. Um, uh, the, I mean, Golubov, he's a a veteran. Uh, so I, I'm not seeing much of a, you know, full-time NHL future, but I loved what I saw with him on the right side in, in Belleville last year. So I think we can expect that stability again. Um, and then I think a name that people might be surprised to hear more often, uh, maybe not you know at the NHL level, but from me this season, if you're you know following along on silver seven or, or on Twitter is Jordan Murray. 
Uh, you know, I thought he really came into his own at the end of the season last year, especially on the offensive side. He still has a lot of stuff to work on, of course, um, but I think that he'll end up you know, with people like Lajoie and Brandstrom bouncing back and forth, maybe between the NHL and AHL, depending on injuries and all that kind of stuff. I think he'll be kind of a, a mainstay uh, power play guy. Um, and, you know, he's one of the ones that does quite well, you know, in the important things, you know, like breaking the puck out and, and making that first important pass. Um, yeah, I think that that's probably the name for me that I'm most intrigued to see if he's got the next step in his game. It's kind of interesting. If I, I, I'm, I think I'm looking at this correctly. I'm pretty sure Murray's uh, still under an AHL contract, so I don't know if I, I don't know where Ottawa sits in terms of contracts. But um, if they do want to call him up, I, it looks like they would have to give him an NHL contract. But as you're saying, uh, you know, if he's on this upward traje- trajectory, um, you know, I, I wouldn't really be surprised if there were multiple injuries. Um, now. Changing gears into the goaltending situation, I think that's one of the most interesting parts about this team uh, this coming season is that they'll have Marcus Hogberg, Philip Gustafson, and Joey Decord battling for two spots. Um, who do you think will be the odd man out, and what do you think the playing time will end up looking like, looking like throughout the season? I've been thinking about this question all day. Uh, and I and I, well, all summer, but specifically all day. <laughs> I don't. I don't know. So I, you know, Hogberg is going to be the number one guy that in Belleville. That's I don't think there's really a question there. I think he earned that spot last year. Uh, I don't think it was his numbers last year were a fluke. You know, we saw him come more into, you know, the the types of the type of play that we kind of expected from him earlier. I guess uh, after being a, a starter in in the Swedish league uh, previously, I think that that you know that starter job is is his and and the first call up for injury is is his to to lose i think he'd have to play himself out of it between gustafson and decord though i struggle and and the reason is because i want gustafson to make the same step that or take the same step that hogbert did um you know hogbert came over to to north america he struggled for a season and a bit and then last year he kind of found his his game and and started playing you know really well he you know had the the positioning in the net the you know the size of the rink the speed of the game you know i I think that he kind of it it all clicked for him and so what i'm hoping is that the same thing happens for gustafson because he's at that same spot in terms of his north american experience you know he had last season wasn't great um you know he did fine in some games but he wasn't someone he didn't have as much stability as hugward did now the other side is decord is coming off of a fantastic season um, in the NCAA. He was a finalist for the Mike Richter Award. He was a, a nominated for the Hobie Baker. He led Arizona State to the best season in their, I mean, short history as a NCAA hockey team, but still a pretty crazy um, season for that team. Uh, he's already used to North American ice. He's already used to the, you know, the positioning, the net, all that kind of stuff. So, and and he's also older. And I don't think that older necessarily means too much uh in the grand scheme of things but i'm curious i think i think that if i'm going to predict something i think that decord is going to win the job in terms of the backup um but i'm not sure it will happen right away i think it will be something that would happen you know if if hogberg gets called up and then they're splitting starts between gustafson i think decord will take advantage of that opportunity yeah, I wonder what your your thoughts might be on the ECHL because I mean, if there's only the two spots for the goalies, one of them's inevitably going to be get pushed down to the ECHL, and uh, I think they have another they have another goalie too, Alex Dubo, who 
we'll, we'll probably be in the ECHL for pretty much the entire season. But um, I don't know, I'm wondering what your thoughts are. So if a goalie, if either of Decord or Gustafson ends up um, getting sent down to the ECHL and they get to play more games, do you see that as an advantage at all? Or uh, a potential surplus, or do you think the quality or quality of competition of the ECHL kind of just overrides that completely? Yeah, I don't. I don't like the idea of having a goaltender of the uh, caliber that I believe both Gustafson and Decord to be playing in the ECHL. I, I don't. You know, I, I get you want them to play games. That's and I, I would choose games over no games, of course, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, but. You know, the level of play in the ECHL, the level, the you know, the team that's in front of you on any given night can be pretty different and pretty volatile uh, in terms of the, you know, the defense you're playing in front of. You're probably going to get, you know, a lot of misplays and bad pucks and all that kind of stuff. Um, but also the, the, you know, the difference in skill level between the ECHL and AHL is, I think, too large for it to be super beneficial. Uh, I think it's going to have to happen. Uh, you know, I'd rather have Gustafson or Decord playing games than being the third goaltender in the AHL because I don't think that does you any good. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I, I don't like it. I think it's, this is my answer. You know, it, it's kind of interesting. I I think I wrote about this uh, sometime in August, and you know, you never want to wish harm on any players, especially um, players who uh, are on the team that you're rooting for, but. I mean, the best case scenario is that, you know, one of these goalies, I mean, Anderson's probably going to get injured at some point. Um, one of my bold predictions was that Hogberg ends up actually playing more games in, in the NHL than Anderson does this season. And I mean, in, in, in a kind of strange way, him getting hurt probably is the best case scenario for all three of these goalie prospects, just because then Hogberg gets that you know, NHL experience, maybe can play 15 to 20 games. Uh, and then Gustafson and Decord can get that regular playing time in the AHL. So it, it's weird, like wanting that. But I think it's, you know, I think we have to acknowledge that that's probably best for all of their development. And hopefully it's nothing serious. But um, yeah, I, I feel like that's a realistic scenario. Do you do you have access to my my Google Doc that I was taking notes on earlier today? I I, <laughs> I honestly I have a point here. I will read for you word for word that says no offense to Craig Anderson, but I'm expecting him to miss time with injury this year. Yeah. It's probably just something that's going to happen. Yes. I mean, he's what is he 38 now? Yeah and, yeah, and again, I'm with you. It's it's not a you know it's not out of malice. I don't want Craig Anderson to get hurt, um, but you know, goalie development wise and likelihood based on age and durability, I, I just it's it's probably going to happen, and it's probably for the best. Totally. Yeah. yeah so I, I guess we've kind of gone, gone over the general roster makeup, but there's a few players that I think we kind of glossed over in all of that, especially on the forwards. And I think it's just a bit, I think it'll be worth to just dive a little bit deeper on a few of them. So the first one I kind of want to talk about is Josh Norris. So he's, he's the way I look at Josh Norris is he's, he's in a pretty similar situation to what Logan Brown was in last year. He's recovering from, uh, from injuries. Um, he's making his transition to pro hockey at the same time. So um, I don't know, how, how do you see him performing this year? Do you think he can uh, take a step forward like Brown did last year? I, I do. I think that there, there's a bit of a difference from what I've seen and I've, I've watched I've probably watched the m- most, you know, game tape highlight packs of of Norris than any other player that's going to be new to the the Belleville system this year. Um, 
there's definitely a difference in the game between Norris and Brown. I think Norris is, and I don't think it's a secret. I don't think this is any totally. like, genius on my part, but um, you know, he's a, he's more of a two way, you know, Patrice Bergeron type. If we want to get crazy with comparisons. Um, whereas I think Logan Brown's kind of got a little more high end skill. Uh, but I do think that Josh Norris is going to quickly win ice time and quickly produce in Belleville this year. Uh, I think he'll probably get, you know, some, some good line mates. Um, I'm, I'm expecting, you know, a, a young player like a, a former turner, Abramov on one of his wings, and then maybe a, a Rotowald on the other one. Um, and, and I think, I think we're going to be really impressed with him. Uh, you know, last year, obviously you know, over a point per game. Yeah. His season was cut short, which is super unfortunate because I'm really intrigued as to how that season could have gone if he had kept going um, and how good it would have been. But uh, yeah, no, I'm I'm really really excited. I think he's probably one of the players I'm most excited to have join Belleville this year. Um, on both ends of the rink, I think that you know they they need that that two way center. But I also think he's gonna be able to produce uh, quite well. You know, even though it's gonna be a, a rookie pro season for him. Would you rank him in between Logan Brown and Colin White, or would you put that differently? At least well, for guess- future value. I guess my question for you is, who do you rank higher, Logan Brown or Colin White? Definitely future value, I'd put Brown. His ceiling okay. just seems much higher to me. I, I agree. I just wanted to, I didn't want to, you know, walk into a trap. Um, <laughs> I would probably rank him between. I think Josh Norris has a bit more offensive upside than Colin White does. That's fair. And, and I think most people like Colin White kind of yeah, as a totally. fringe fringe second line guy, maybe more of like a really strong third line center. So, um, you know, if they can get Norris and Brown to be those top six guys, I think that's huge. Um, one of the guys I was interested about too, um, I think Colin and I are just going to kind of <laughs> ask a lot about individual players. Um, one of the guys I was interested about was, uh, how do you pronounce it anyway? Abramov, Abramov. I have, I've heard like a different, uh, million different pronunciations, but you know, he was lighting it up in the rookie tournament. Um, what do you think he's going to do this season? Do you think he's actually going to bounce back? Or do you think he's going to kind of have like another Francis Perron type season where he kind of lights up the queue and then just doesn't do too much for the first few seasons? Yeah, for, for what it's worth uh, on the on the commentary, you know, in game with Belleville, they pronounce it Abramov. Uh, Abramov, I, I okay. I don't know. I don't know if that's right or not, but that's what they that's what they do. So that's what I go with. Um, I you know, I, I'm trying not to get too excited about it. I think I'm leaning more towards breakout season than you know plateau uh, for for Abramov. Maybe he doesn't go you know Batherson level in terms of over a point per game in the AHL, but I think that we're going to see uh, an improvement, and I, and I think he's going to you know better players as well. So that could weigh into to that production. Um, you know, over the course of the full year, but I'm, I, I love his game. He's, he's quick. He's all, he's always in the mix. And I think that that's a, a big thing. Um, I'm not convinced he's, you know, going to ever be a, a Selkie nominee, uh, in terms of his defensive side of his game, but you know, offensively he's, he's usually producing. And if he's not producing chances, I mean, um, you know, he, he's, you know, in there trying, to produce chances, you know, he's, he's pretty hungry for the puck more often than not. So I, I think we're going to, you know, if we're, if we're talking breakout candidates, I think he's probably up near the top for me, uh, with Belleville. Yeah. Okay. For- Spencer, but sorry, Spencer, you're, you're, you're taking away from the next segment, but you know, that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> sorry. 
Sorry, I'll, I'll, I'll try not to get ahead of myself on the next <laughs> yeah. one. Yeah. <laughs> for what it's worth, Francis Perron actually did have a pretty good season last year, just putting that out there. True, I know, he did. Yeah, it's kind of heart. It's kind of heartbreaking because I I was a pretty big Francis Perron fan for for a little bit there. So I'm I'm sad that he had that breakout <laughs> season outside of the Ottawa system. Yeah, but for, for sure. But I mean, looking at Abramov, uh, I mean, last year definitely was like a big transition for him. I mean, like from the QMJHL, from what I from what I can gather from Abramov, he seemed like a very uh, perimeter type player who would kind of blaze down the sides as a winger and then uh, make a pass or use his accurate shot to uh, just get it inside the net. So. Um, last year definitely was a transition, so... Yeah, it's, de- it's definitely a different uh, style of game. By the end of the year, he was kind of being able to make space for himself and cutting into the net more and taking more uh, physical chances that way. I mean, he's, he's a pretty small player, so the fact that he was able to kind of... Uh, starting to fend off defenders in the AHL, I think, speaks uh, well to his development. So um, hopefully we can see some improvement from, improvement from him there. But um, the other player that kind of also has that incredible speed element but, like, ramped up to a million is Alex Formanton. So, I, I mean, I, we kind of touched on Formanton earlier. He has incredible speed. He, he seems to be, uh, uh, he seemed to almost stick with the roster for a couple of years in a row now under Guy Boucher. But uh, I'm wondering what your thoughts might be on, on him. Do you think he'll actually be able to translate his skill set into the AHL all that well? I do. Um, I, and, and I hope I get, I hope he gets the chance to. I think he's probably one of the players that I most want to see not make the roster in Ottawa this year, only because, you know, as a, you know, in his last year in the OHL, he was barely over a point per game. And if you're, you know, a top elite scoring player, uh, you should be, you know, crushing the competition. You know, you're regularly playing against 17 year olds uh, in the OHL as as a, you know, 19, 20 year old. I think that Formanton needs a year in the AHL uh, to to f- you know figure out his offensive stuff at the pro level. You know, I, I don't think his ceiling is you know elite scoring winger by any means. Um, I do think though that his speed and his uh, you know let's call it rattiness is actually kind of fit for the AHL. Um, you know, he's not a he's not a physical player in terms of throwing big hits. Uh, but I think that you know the way that he plays um, and his ability to use his speed to burn people quite easily uh, will actually be really great in the AHL. Uh, so I think that he would he would do well, and I think it would be best for his development uh, if he if he spent a year under under Man in in Belleville. Yeah, it definitely seemed like when he was playing in the in the NHL, he didn't quite have that finish yet. And like you're right. mentioning, he never really tore up the OHL um, and you know at some point he's going to actually have to score and yeah I, I, I have no problem with him spending even the entire season in Belleville sure. um, just Absolutely. to see if he can actually score so I'd be totally fine with that um, another guy I was interested in what you uh, what you thought about was Parker Kelly he's had a ton of hype just specifically the last few weeks um, I did he win the hardest worker in the rookie camp for the past two seasons? That's correct, right? Yeah, he won yeah. it again this year. Yeah, so it seems like there's a lot of Parker Kelly hype, um, which is strange for a guy who was undrafted. But I don't know. What do you think about him uh, coming into this season? I I think I I, I think I tweeted about this 
like last week or something um, where, you know, something along the lines of if Parker Kelly finds an offensive game in Belleville, he's going to immediately be a fan favorite and probably my favorite just because of the way he plays. He's just he's so annoying um, (laughs) to to the opposition. Uh, And so if he can also produce offensively, I think people are going to love him. Um, I'm not overly familiar with Parker Kelly in terms of, you know, even positionally where he played he's he's listed as a center and a right winger on most websites you know yeah, he on, shoots on a, left <laughs> yeah he shoots left so it's it's a whole thing um i think there's an opportunity for him if he plays center to play center in belleville um which would be interesting to see um i just i i think i'm crossing my fingers about the offensive upside of his game because i'm not sure it's necessarily there you know i, I think that he's you know an agitator um in a good way not in a you know in a in a dirty way um which is great to have uh you know getting under people's skin and we saw that in the the rookie tournament and i think we even saw it in in preseason game as well um but yeah my my question is his skill i don't know where it is um in terms of producing you know his his junior numbers weren't crazy impressive um so yeah i'm not, I'm not sure where he's going to end up landing uh, i expect he'll kind of be third line fourth line in belleville for most of the year this year totally and i mean it, it's definitely worth taking his point totals into context too especially playing on that extremely extremely overpowered prince albert team last year yeah and uh yeah and it'll be interesting to see how he transitions but uh one other guy this i think this is the last guy that would kind of go really hard into is uh jack rodewald who i think you've already mentioned a couple times too uh, right winger, he worked his way up from the ECHL, uh, from an AHL deal, all the way to uh, playing six games in the NHL at the end of last year. So um, he's continuously improved his point totals in the AHL. Uh, at 25 now, though, do you think, um, he, I guess, do you still consider him a prospect at all? Do you think he has a chance to potentially make a jump to the NHL at any point? Or do you think he'll end up being one of those um, AHL veterans who kind of just toils around the league for a while? I would lean more towards the latter on that. Uh, you know, I, I like him as a player. Uh, I think he does really well for for Belleville. Um, you know, and, and as you mentioned, you know, his point totals have just kept climbing, uh, really climbed in the past year uh, to the point where he's, uh, you know, 23 goals, 24 assists, 59 games, great point totals for the AHL. Uh, but as you mentioned, he is 25. You know, the I think I wouldn't consider him a prospect uh, that that has you know a shot at the you know at a full time NHL gig you know I could see him being one of those guys that gets called up to to fill in a spot uh, for various NHL franchises for the next few years um, I kind of honestly see him a little bit like Jordan Swars uh, who is I think he's about 28 now I think he's he's captain of Providence last year you know back to back 20 goal AHL seasons I kind of see Rodewald's trajectory being similar. Uh, you know, he'll probably, you know, he's on a one-year deal right now with in in the Sen system. Maybe they give him another one after that, and then he probably goes to, you know, another AHL franchise or two um, before, you know, he hits 30, and then I'm not sure what happens for his career after that. But I, I don't, if you ask me to talk about prospects with NHL potential, I, I wouldn't really put Rodewald in that uh, list anymore, unfortunately. Just a few more guys I wanted to group in here. Um there's three players that, uh, well, I mean, there's there's more than three, but there, these three specific guys I wanted to ask about: um, Nick Ebert, Ollie Alsing, and Michael Carcone. Do you think 
any of those guys have any sort of chance of being NHL players? And if not, what kind of impact are they going to have in Belleville this season? Um, I'm gonna. I'm probably gonna lean towards no on all three, uh, in terms of becoming you know legit NHLers. Uh, Michael Carcone had you know some offensive success last year um, in the AHL between Utica and Toronto, but uh, I'm not sure how much bigger that or how much better that gets for him. Uh, also, I don't know uh, a ton about Ebert. He's probably the one I might be inclined to call a you know seventh defenseman in the NHL maybe um but again I'm not I'm not super super familiar with his game either I've watched you know some some stuff on YouTube uh about him but uh, I wouldn't yeah I, I wouldn't place any you know high expectations on that, on any of those players at the NHL level at the AHL level uh, I, I think that they'll provide a lot of value uh, I think that's the the big difference is that you know there, there's a certain style to the AHL game that is a bit different than the NHL game mostly because the the skill level is is lower um, and so I think that they can be, do well maybe thrive at that skill level, but once they get to the NHL level, it's just a little too quick for them. Um, so I think that we can expect to see some good offense from Carcone. I think we can expect to see um, even probably some offense from Ebert as well. Uh, all saying, I'm, not, I'm honestly, I'm not sure where he really fits uh, in terms of even the AHL roster. Uh, I don't think about him necessarily when I go through my lineups in my head of what could possibly happen uh, mm-hmm. for for opening night or anything like that. So. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure that any of them are really going to be NHL level players, uh, but I do think that they'll be able to find success and, and be important, you know, veteran pieces of depth for, for Belleville, uh, when they, and I say when they, with so much optimism, make the playoffs this year. Yeah. And I think those kind of guys are definitely undervalued, um, within organizations just because I think it's really huge when a team like Belleville can actually make the playoffs. Um, so definitely having that depth will will uh, be needed this season. Um, so we've talked a lot about um, various players on the team so far. And out of anybody on the team, who do you think is going to surpass expectations and who do you think might fall short and might be a bit underwhelming in this coming season? Uh, surpass expectations. I, I think this is the part where you told me that I jumped the gun yeah. <laughs> uh, earlier. Uh, Abramov, I think, will surpass expectations. Um, I think it's tough. I, I want to say Josh Norris will surpass expectations, but I honestly think that around the fan base, or at least around what I've seen uh, mostly on Twitter uh, and, and the f- few friends I have that are Sens fans in, in real life, given that I grew up shortly outside of Toronto, so most of my friends are Leafs fans. Um, I think that the the expectations are, are pretty high for Norris anyways, but I do still think that he's going to be a, a guy that everyone's really excited about uh, that's going to make that jump. Uh, in terms of you know, a player that might not be what we want that player to be, uh, it breaks my heart, sincerely. I am I'm concerned about Philip Schlopik. Uh, only because last year he had a phenomenal opportunity to crush point totals. Because, you know, in the second half of the year, when every other team knows that Brown, Bell, uh, Brown, Paul, and Batherson are the trio to stop. You're sending your best players out against them to stop them, which means more often than not, Schlappick was not playing against the opposition's best players 
more often than not, he was likely out there right after Brown, Batherson, and Paul, you know, gave them a lot of trouble. And so you would hope that they would, that a player would take advantage of that opportunity uh, to play against, you know, not necessarily the best defensive competition, uh, and and you know rise to the challenge of of increasing his point totals and and he he increased his point totals by two but also played five extra games so he really wasn't any different of a season than his rookie season in the ahl and i'm concerned that you know i'm hoping it was a blip and you know this year he comes out and and you know produces like i i thought or some kind of still think he could um do you believe any of those uh injury rumors though I, yeah, I mean, I usually take a lot of that with a grain of salt. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I do, you know, I, I'm sure he wasn't healthy for the entire season. Um, but yeah, I just think that there was a big opportunity that he did not take advantage of last year. So he's someone that I'm concerned will be that person that, you know, come March, April, May, June, uh, we look back and think that might be a guy who's not going to be the NHL player we thought he was. Yeah, and like, still count me a fan of of Schwapik's skill set, but uh, me as well, absolutely. Uh, and, and, and a big uh, um, one kind of saving grace for me, I think, is looking to see how he performed at the beginning of the season when Logan Brown was injured. He seemed to step into that uh, first line role at the very beginning of the season, playing with guys like Nick Paul and Batherson, and he seemed to yeah. excel in that role at that time. But uh, um, afterwards, I mean, he kind of uh, didn't really seem to. Yeah, as you kind of mentioned, he didn't really seem to uh, be able to execute as much, which Maybe that doesn't really speak well to his ability to maybe drive a line to the NHL level, which I think could be super valuable. So hopefully we can see some uh, more from Schlappick this year. But uh, yeah, and and I will say that you know one one thing that you we probably should take into consideration is that he pl- his his most uh, common winger was was Jack Rodewald. And Jack right. Rodewald also had a very good season, his best by far in in pro hockey. Um, you know, maybe that had to do with playing with Schlabik, maybe it didn't. You know, the point totals aren't necessarily there in terms of saying, yes, you know, that was definitely, you know, Schlabik assisting all of Rodewald's goals. Um, but, you know, you have to look at it and think, you know, Rodewald didn't play with him before, and then he played with him, and then he put up his career best points. So, you know, th- there's that as well. Um, so I'm not saying that the season was necessarily lost, but I, I was just expecting big things, and, and it didn't didn't end up happening for him. So I'm I'm, I'm hopeful that that's not uh, something that's going to continue this season, uh, but it's definitely something I'm going to keep an eye on. Totally. So before we get to the listener questions, uh, there's one thing I want to acknowledge that's it's been, just been a long time since the B-Sins have made the playoffs. I think the last time was 2014, and it was even longer since they even won a series, which was actually in the 2011 championship. So tying this all together, I think you hinted at this earlier, but where do you think the B-Sins fall in the standings this year? Do, do you think, how convinced are you that, that they're a playoff team this year? I think they're a playoff team this year. Um, you know, I think that... You know, if if they've got Hogberg all year because you know Anderson and Nilsson are are healthy all year, uh, that's fantastic. But even if they don't, they'll have two you know strong prospect goalies who will likely push each other to be as good as they can be uh, and kind of do a one A one B tandem. And then, you know, I think for most teams, you know, it starts at in the net. Um, I think that you know if we see you know when Willanen comes back if we see Brandstrom getting sent down and we also have Lejoie and then Murray rounds out that left side of the D 
Um, and then we have Golubov on the right with probably Ebert and I'm not sure who else. Uh, there's a lot of other names that are kind of fighting for that six, seven, eight spot down there. Um, that's a pretty strong AHL core for me. And then, you know, as I mentioned, I think that one to 12 on the forward side is far deeper this year than it was last year. Um, I, I think that, you know, if they, if they miss the, playoffs this year i'm i'm gonna say it now it's because of injury and nothing else and that's injury either in the ahl or at the nhl level where they end up stealing all of belleville's best players for obviously good reasons for development but you know for belleville's sake i hope that doesn't happen (laughs) yeah i I definitely hope they make the playoffs um like colin was saying not having won a series since 2011 i mean that's pretty pretty sad um and just you know, especially with like last year it would have been so nice being able to watch um, watch a playoff series while Ottawa, you know, th- their season was over and there was nothing to watch. So it would definitely be nice to be invested in the AHL team. And I remember being very invested in the 2011 run. So um, seeing something like that would certainly be a lot of fun. Absolutely. And they were only they were only two points out last year. Right. So mm-hmm. um, they had like if they won, they would have made it on the last game. Yes. Like that that's how close it was. Um, so yeah, I, you know, I think that uh, yeah, I, I think we're going to see a, a Belleville playoff, uh, hopefully deep playoff run. But I think we're definitely going to see Belleville or playoff games in Belleville this year. Yeah, the Randy mm-hmm. years are behind us. The Kurt Von endorsed <laughs> years are behind us. It's time for thank uh, goodness. Yeah, finally for a playoff series. So uh, I think we we, we have we we only There's have one, one question. One listener question today. Is it the question uh, I yeah, think yeah, it yeah. is? Yeah. Yeah. And okay, I gotta say, man, listeners, normally you guys have fantastic questions. I mean, sometimes we've had like eight, nine, ten questions. I don't know. Today, I like I thought there'd be lots of questions, especially especially just with people being on Twitter because of the Shabbat news and, and stuff like that. So, kind of surprised there was no other questions. But that's all right. Uh, hopefully, you can bring your game for for next episode. Well, I'll be sure to ask you lots of questions for the next episode. Sounds good. You you asked a fantastic one last time. <laughs> and, and you answered <laughs> yeah, it. Colin, do you want to read it? Yeah, so this one's coming from a uh, friend of the show, Bosti, Matt Bostelar. Uh, what is your favorite brewing method of iced coffee? Favorite blend to use? How much sugar do you put in it? Hey, for team or regular? I'll be honest, I'm not a coffee drinker, so I'll let you take this one fully, Spencer. <laughs> Oh, uh, yeah, I honestly, I don't know what the the device is that I have, but uh, it's it's essentially, you know, uh, a glass jug that has a, a brewing mechanism inside that I grind coffee and put uh, 12 scoops of that coffee in for uh, 24 hours in my fridge. Uh, my coffee of choice is Kicking Horse, any any flavor. They're all good. Any roast, they're all good. Uh, and uh, I'm a I'm a dairy but no sugar coffee drinker um i even you know if you if you go to starbucks i don't get the you know pumps of things in my iced coffee i like the flavor of coffee too much um i always have two percent in my fridge i like the cream but i i you know it's, it's a treat for the cream otherwise it's you know the two percent milk that's that's my game it just all seems like gibberish to me. I mean, just like Colin, I, I don't drink coffee either. So, it, <laughs> I mean, I feel like so left out because, you know, like pretty much everybody I know, maybe like 80% of people, they also drink coffee. So it just feels so weird not being a part of that. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, we, we can we can try to introduce you to it if you want, but uh, no. you know, lots of I just people hate don't the like smell. coffee. Oh, I love the smell. Yeah, I live for the smell. Can't do it. 
<laughs> I, yeah, I'm totally opposite. I love the smell, but just can't really taste it. Mm. Oh, weird. Well, um, before we wrap up, uh, are there any other bold predictions or maybe some insights you have on this coming season for Belleville? Uh, well, one player we didn't really touch on uh, that uh, I learned from your the last episode of the show that, that Trevor is a big fan of is Jonathan <laughs> Davidson. Right. Uh, we didn't really talk about him, and I... I I like him as a dark horse for the the uh, the NHL team uh, at some point this season, maybe not to start things off. Um, but I'm you know I'm really intrigued. I mean, he's been playing in he's got three seasons under his belt, I think. Four, I think not. Maybe not four full seasons, but yeah, I think it's yeah. three full seasons and one you know like 15 game stint or something uh, in the SHL. So uh, I'm, I'm very intrigued and excited about that, but I, I do think, I think the one only other thing that I will touch on about Belleville that is interesting to me is that if you look at Ottawa's roster, especially on the forward side, on the right side, it's pretty thin, mm-hmm. right? You know, you've got Bobby Ryan, uh, you know, Drake Batherson. And then after that, you probably have a, you know, some people who are left-handed that might play on the right. You know, it's not necessarily a, you know, set in stone who who the four right wingers are going to be. I really like Belleville's right side. I think if you look at Verno, if you look at Davidson, you know, Rodewalden, I know I've said that he's probably not an NHL prospect. Um, Swarz is also right-handed. Uh, Kelly plays the right side, but he's left-handed, so I don't actually know where he's going to be. Uh, but I think that having Verno and Davidson as right-handed players uh, on who both naturally play the right wing uh, speaks to what hopefully the right side on the NHL will look like, you know, in a year or two. Uh, I think that, you know, yes, we can be concerned about how thin it is this year, but, uh, you know, I think that the future is bright on the right uh, in, in the NHL. Cause I'm really intrigued, you know, as, as I was kind of putting together my possible lineup for Belleville, uh, you know, I was having a tough time placing right wingers because I was like, this guy shouldn't be on the third line. He shouldn't be on the fourth line, but I can't put him ahead of Davidson. Well, but then who wears Verano go? So it was a whole, a whole thing. Uh, but you know, I, I'm really excited specifically about the fact that there's a thin position in the NHL where the AHL team mm-hmm. actually is, is pretty strong. Yeah. And that's, that's definitely exciting seeing that, um, you know, and just, we've been talking this whole episode about their depth, um, just the amount of options they have, at forward, even if, I mean, obviously not all of them are going to turn out, but you have to think that at least some of them turn out. Um, and that's, you know, that's something to be hopeful for. Absolutely. And, and if, if I had my way and I was doing the, you know, if I was coaching the team, I would be playing, you know, the, the younger skilled players over the uh, veterans. Um, but you, you can have three you know, AHL wingers who have scored 20 goals before in the bottom six of Belleville and still be confident in your top six. Like it's with, between Rotowald mm-hmm. Swords and, and Carconi, like that's, and I mean, Morgan Klimchuk is also in that conversation. Uh, yeah. That's, it's intriguing. It's, it's going to be an interesting, uh, interesting season to watch for sure. Yeah. I'm definitely looking forward to the season. Just, just following the prospects development. I think most of their interesting prospects are on this Belleville team. Um, so yeah, I will definitely be following it, uh, pretty closely and I'm sure Colin and lots of other senators fans will be as well. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I think that's a great place to wrap it up. Um, just before we leave, uh, anything you want to plug Spencer? Uh, no, follow along on, on silver seven, of course. Uh, my recaps this year are going to be a bit different. Uh, so I'm excited to, to kind of show off that new style that we're going to run through and, and test out. 
Um, and then, of course, you know, follow me on on Twitter, Spencer DJ Blake, if you want to follow Belleville or you know experience some sarcasm because I that's kind of all I do. Awesome. Thanks so much sir, for joining the show, Spencer. Thanks, man. Hey, hey, thanks for having me. As I wrap it up, a reminder that you can find the Cost Per Pointcast on iTunes, Spotify, and Stitcher. And if you really enjoy the podcast, you can rate and review it on those platforms too. You can find me on Twitter at CutmoreCullen and read my articles at Silver7Cents. And for Trevor, you can follow him on Twitter at ShackDS. The podcast also has a Twitter account at CPPointcast. You can follow us there where we'll notify you of future episodes and we'll be accepting listener questions too. In the next little while, we'll also be previewing Ottawa season, so stay tuned for that. That's all for today, folks. Adios.